You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets post-Thanksgiving edition. We're back. Your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, and fantasy sports. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday. A lot of Hornets action to discuss today. We have three games to recap. I'm Doug Branson, and I'm joined by my co-host, my friend from the mean streets of Cotswold, David Walker. No time for a pregame today, Doug. We got to get right into it. I just made it an obscene gesture at you, too. I just wanted you to know that you can't see me, but but I just made an obscene gesture. Well, that's $35,000 for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, before we get started, got to tell you about this. If you love the city of Charlotte, I know you do. If you're away from the city, maybe you're feeling homesick, or you just wish you were in Buzz City, then listen up. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Discovering CLT. They are featuring the best images of our Queen City on Instagram at Discovering CLT. They highlight the Spectrum Center, Queen Park Social, new restaurant openings like Zeppelin. It's the best way to discover and learn about all things Charlotte, North Carolina. I follow Discovering CLT to share my best photos of Hornets games. I find out about other local events going on around the city, new restaurant openings. It's all there for me at Discovering CLT. Here's what I need you to do right now. It doesn't matter if you live in Charlotte or not. Follow at Discovering CLT on Instagram. Tag them at Discovering CLT in your awesome Charlotte Hornets Instagram photos and throw in the hashtag Buzzamaniacs and show them what the Nest can do. Uh, They sponsor this show, so we want to help them out as well at Discovering CLT on Instagram. And here's the cool part. If uh, you do tag them at Discovering CLT, you could have your photo featured on their Instagram page. And listen... Everyone's trying to get Instagram famous, David. Everyone wants to be a social media influencer, and they have a lot of followers. So if you tag them, you get featured. I'm not saying you will immediately become Charlotte famous, but it's a good step in the right. It's a good step in the right direction. Okay, let's get started with these recaps first. Let's take it all the way back to Wednesday night. The Hornets hosting a division foe. The Washington Wizards, the Hornets continued their good play and good fortune at home this season. They get an overtime win, their first in two seasons, David, 129 to 124. What were your thoughts out of this one? Well, that was the big thing. I mean, I think they had not won, you know, like you said, they haven't won an overtime game in ages. First one of the season. So it was good to see them kind of come in there, have a game that wasn't really in their control, but they fought back in a big-time way against a good team. They always play the Wizards tough, it seems like, and the Wizards are a good team. And this was, yeah, this so this was the, t- the game Nick Batum went out. So, I mean, that was a big scare from this game. We'll get into that a little bit later as we kind of go through the rest of the weekend. But um, contributions from the bench, Jeremy Lamb with 24 points, Frank with 12, Michael Carter-Williams with 11 points and a couple huge threes to go along with some nice defense to help the Hornets get back in this one. And then Dwight Howard with a monster game and a big block at the end of regulation to send it into overtime. So, I mean, a really nice game for the Hornets, obviously, to win. But a lot of things did not go their way with Batum going out, 
you know, with some of the things they tried to do down the stretch. So it was good to see them get into a bit of an uncomfortable situation, even though they were at home. You know, they needed some big plays on offense and defense down the stretch to win this one. And so that was very encouraging. Yeah, I didn't think that the that Dwight Howard could follow up a, a twenty five and twenty game with with a much bigger game, uh, but I thought twenty six points, thirteen rebounds, three assists, only two turnovers in this one, and then one huge block on Bradley Beal uh, to keep this game uh, or keep this game from uh, ending in regulation. They go to overtime and get the win. I thought Dwight Howard did everything in this game that the Charlotte Hornets were wanting from him when they made the trade in the offseason. He was physical inside on defense. I mentioned the block there. He played 37 minutes. He stayed out of foul trouble. 10 of 13 from the field. He was getting tough boards in traffic all game long, bottom line. In my mind, he was the difference maker in this game uh, that helped them win a game that they probably would have dropped uh, last season. So yeah. a big yeah, game. It was, I mean, uh-huh. you look at this game, Doug. Every quarter was close. You know, it was a it was between. It was either tied or like three or four points. So I mean, this is a this is a nip and tuck game all the way through. Um, really encouraging to see them. But yeah, you said that when we were watching that game. I mean, Dwight was awesome during this game. Did everything that they asked him to do, like you said. So pretty amazing performance by him there. Uh, the Batum thing was pretty scary, though. I mean, what were your thoughts when that first went down? Because contusion same elbow could have been pretty bad yeah same elbow that he that cost him uh what 12 games to begin the season uh he was uh, not playing well uh, one of six from the field of three from beyond the arc before the injury and it looked like he had and he, he said afterwards that he had banged it on a few plays and gotten it tied up pulled and this was our concern going into the you know him coming back this early it was a six to eight yeah. week uh, time frame for him to rehab this injury, an injury that in baseball, you know, would have required Tommy John surgery. And, you know, had it been on his shooting arm, probably would have required surgery, but it was his off arm. They were able to rehab it and and he was able to get back within six weeks. And we had talked about, look, Nick Batum wanted, you know, coming into this season before the injury, wanted, you know, to have a big season. That the, yeah. he you know was not playing overseas, wanted to focus on his NBA career. We were worried that he would want to rush himself back. That the team, sort of spiraling without him, would want to rush him back. You know, off that that six game losing streak, and and this was part of the concern that maybe a, a little hit here, a little pull there, and all of a sudden you're talking about a serious injury again. But luckily, it's just a contusion, and he would be back a few games later uh, against the Spurs on Saturday night. Uh, but listen, listen, the the Hornets play almost seven points better on offense with Nick Batum on the floor, and and his length defensively uh, has been a big a big boost for them uh, out of out of that six game losing streak. Uh, they they've gotten a little bit more uh, length, and then you you put Jeremy Lamb on the bench as well, yeah. and, and he's been big time. So. Yeah, they, they they need it. That's the thing about this Hornets team. They need all of the pieces. Right. That's what I was going to say. It almost doesn't even matter which key piece is out. And I think you throw Jeremy Lamb into that mix right now, too, because he's been so consistent. And like you said, when he's going to the bench, that just makes them that much deeper. I mean, gives them another guy who's able to score. But when you take anybody out of this rotation, I mean, it's just tough for them to play at the level uh, you know that they need to uh, consistently. Um, and when Kemba's a bit up and down, I mean, that's kind of the theme for me over these next two games, Doug, is like they didn't really have everyone healthy. 
Um, Kemba got bumped up in this last game, but Batum was out versus the Cavs. And so anytime that happens, I mean, we've seen it. That's that's how this team goes. It's They're going to struggle when they're not at full strength. Kemba Walker, 8 of 22 from the field in this one. Inefficient night, but he was he was as clutch as ever in this one with yep. less than five seconds on the clock. He used a screen by Howard to get a step on John Wall. Uh, he drives and does this great forward hop, David. He looked like one of those Olympic long jumpers that lands, you know, the guys that land in the sand, you know what I'm talking about there? Of course. Olympics, I love Olympics. Only, on yeah. MB- only on NBC. <laughs> but then he leans back as he goes for the layup and draws the contact from Wall. Beautiful play. And then he knocks down his freebies to send the game to overtime where he would hit a huge go-ahead three-point basket as well. Inefficient shooting night again for Kimball Walker, but uh, great players affect the game late despite the stat line, and he did exactly that. And you mentioned Michael Carter-Williams, two three-pointers. Didn't see Man, that, didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, he is, he is generally not a very good three-point shooter. Uh, but when you, get, you know, when you get your feet set and you get plenty of time, which defenses are going to give Michael Carter-Williams plenty of time. Uh, he was able to knock him down, and then three steals. Again, showing off uh, the defense, showing off the, the ball pressure, and the ability to turn defense into offense that Steve Clifford has been talking about in terms of, because you know, a lot of people have been asking Clifford about that decision still, uh, to go with Michael Carter-Williams, to not play Malik Monk. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think... I think it shows that it was the right decision. I mean, so far, I mean, their defense has been a lot better since uh, since they started to turn things back around in the win column. Uh, they've yeah, been winning. top ten in offense and top ten in defense again. Yeah, and um, you know, Rick Benell had a little piece in the Charlotte Observer about that Malik Monk situation, and 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 there was a portion in there. I guess someone had asked Clifford about Monk being in his doghouse, and that's such a popular term to throw around. We've seen that a little bit, but. It's obviously not that type of situation. It's just there are only so many, there's just so many minutes to go around. You know, Malik has been struggling a bit. And as you mentioned, MCW gives them a couple of different things on offense and defense. So I just don't think it's like a, a, a doghouse situation. I don't like Malik did anything to, to um, you know, put himself there. It just It's just there's a lot of guys there. There's not many minutes to go around. And he's the odd man out right now. I think the situation is fairly simple in that Malik Monk cannot play defense right now in the NBA consistently over over large stretches of of minutes. I think it's not even the case that he's right now that he's a bad defender. I honestly think that if the Hornets were to play him you know, in that six-man role, like a 28 to 29 minutes per game type of thing, that he would be regarded as maybe one of the worst defenders in the NBA. He's he's a half step behind. He's biting on all of the shot fakes. And on top of that, he doesn't really have the the physical profile to guard twos. So he's forced to guard ones who are a lot who are a lot quicker than him in terms of he's just not able to react well, fast enough on can, defense yeah. because he doesn't he's thinking. It's, he's thinking he's not yeah exactly he's thinking he's not reacting instinctually and i thought kimba walker had an interesting quote after saturday's game against the spurs he says you know that uh, some players get better by watching i thought that was a very interesting quote like because 
you know, if if he were to be out there playing every night, getting burnt every night, I think it would. I think it's eventually going to affect him and his confidence. It's not that he's not trying hard, David. I want to make mm-hmm. that clear. I think he's when he's out there playing defense, you can see he's down in a stance. He's you know he's active on defense. But it's just not good enough to be active on defense. You have to know where you're supposed. You not only have to know where you're supposed to be, but you got to know. You have to anticipate where the offensive player wants to be, and and then react to those pick and roll situations that teams are going to constantly put you in. Do I go over? Do I go under? Do I go into the screen? Okay, now that that's happened, what happens next? I mean, it's very difficult to play defense in the NBA. Right. And, and and I think that Steve Clifford, to me, it's hard to see this, but I think that Steve Clifford, to me, is doing the right thing by not exposing Malik Monk this early to to what what not being able to defend would do to his confidence, what it would do to the team. <laughs> I mean, they're out there to win basketball games, right? Right, exactly. And I don't, I'm not worried about Malik losing his confidence. Yeah, that's one of the things that he brings to the table that is going to help him. But it's just such a jump from college to the NBA, to playing that team defense, to playing individual defense. Like you said, and, and, and Benel mentioned in that piece, it's, it's such a, a leap forward for anyone to try and come into the NBA after what, like 38 games in college and, and, and be that type of defender. And especially for Clifford, I mean, he, he's demanding on his guys, but he's, he can also coach them up. But you can see it. I mean, Monk is just – thinking through things too much. It's not instinctual. And a half second, half step too late in the NBA, you're done. So, I mean, that'll do you in. And he'll get there, I think. I mean, we'll see. Um, but it's just, yeah, he's a rookie. He's – I know you don't like to mention age, just Doug, but he is 19 years old. Um, and so he's he's just coming along. And that's and, – and you can hear that in his comments too. I mean, he's saying this is kind of what rookies go through. You know, the minutes will be up and down a little bit. Obviously, he wants to play. But right now, it's just the right decision, probably, to 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 go with Michael Carter Williams a little more, control that offense a little more on that second unit, and like you said, I mean, it's paying off with wins, so it's it's tough to argue with. I know fans want to see Malik Monk. We all want to see Monk go out there and light him up for like twenty five, and it's going to happen here and there. But right now, he just does need to take a little beat and and, and try and get his feet under him and, and get a little more used to playing that NBA defense. And I think uh, that'll prove him to be, you know, better throughout this season. But man, Michael Carter Williams, that three pointer, I, I didn't see either one of those coming, and they both went in. Let's move to Cleveland. The Hornets were facing a Cavs team that were winners of six straight. LeBron James averaging career highs in nearly every important percentage category. No Nick Batum, who was dealing with the ill effects of a few collisions to that ailing left elbow that we mentioned previously. I didn't give the Hornets much of a chance in this one, but they nearly proved me wrong. They had a three-point lead at the half and a few shots to win the game at the end that went begging. Hornets lose 100-99 to in Cleveland. David, this very nearly could have been a season-defining win for the Hornets. It, it was just another win for the Cavs. What right. went right to put the Hornets in a position to win, and what went wrong at the end? Well, you mentioned Manobatum, um, and to your point, it, it's hard to imagine them winning without him. For all the things we talked about, right, having all those guys in there together. But I thought down the, you know, when they get, when the Cavs get J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver going with the threes, that's what hurts, especially a team like the Hornets when those other guys 
start picking it up. And, and they just have a tough time covering LeBron. Hello, obviously. Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, really tries hard. I mean, you can see him working his ass off against LeBron, but especially down the stretch when these two teams are tight, you know, within a point or two, a possession or two of each other, they're just going to give to LeBron, and there's not much the Hornets can ever do to, to stop him. I think they've even put uh, Dwight Howard on him to try and slow him down a little bit towards the end of the game. He's just too big, too fast for whoever they put on him. And then when it comes down to, you know, is it LeBron versus versus a Kemba Walker on the Hornets and trying to make that big shot down the stretch, it just comes down to whether or not the Hornets can convert, and, and they didn't. I mean, we can talk a little bit about some of the last looks they got, but to me, they've been able to play close with the Cavs and down the stretch, if they leave it, you know, in LeBron's hands, if it's close down the stretch against the Cavs, it's just going to be tough for them to pull these games out because he's so good in the end. So part of the reason they lost that first matchup is because they really gave up on the the offensive boards. We're not able able to keep guys like Channing Fry off the boards. They weren't able to keep Le, keep LeBron James off the offensive boards, and it cost them buckets uh, at, at during. Uh, pretty much every quarter uh, of that last yeah. game. And in this one, they dominate the offensive boards. 15 for the Hornets, th- only three for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And and second chance points, huge, huge advantage for the Hornets in this one. They, they get 11 second chance points to four for Cleveland. And so I, I think that helped them uh, get in, into a position to win. Dwight Howard had two. Marvin Williams had two. It was a team effort. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams had three offensive rebounds. They were just giving themselves plenty of opportunities uh, to get points, which you need against, again, a Cavaliers defense that is is not the defense that you heard about at the beginning of the season. They've pulled themselves back together. LeBron James has duct taped this team uh, together. Uh, there's no uh, Derrick Rose in the lineup anymore, and he was really hurting them defensively. They've gotten great contributions from Dwayne Wade off the bench. Kyle Korver, Channing Fry, they're playing inspired basketball right now, and uh, LeBron James is playing 40 minutes a game. So... You know, I mean, he's he's a bench player. He's a starter. He is everything for this team. He finishes with 27, 16, and 13 with only only three turnovers, uh, which when you're doing as much as LeBron James to only have three turnovers is pretty amazing. Uh, on Yeah, crazy. On the Hornets' side, uh, big performance from Marvin Williams, 17 points, eight rebounds, five of seven from beyond the arc. David, he is shooting. 44.3% from three this season. Now, he's taking one less three-point attempt than he has in the previous two seasons, but honest, that's kind of what we wanted to see, right? I, I think I've been calling for less usage for Marvin, which I thought would lead to more efficiency, and so far that has been exactly what has happened. Uh, 3.7 attempts, 44% from beyond the arc, that would be a career high if it, if it were to hold, and 45% from the field overall. He is he has just hit big shot after big shot, shooting well from the corner, not shooting as many above the break threes as he has in years past, and he's playing all around great basketball for the Hornets right now. Yeah, quietly having a nice little run here, Doug, as you mentioned, shooting a little bit less, but getting that percentage back up to where it needs to be for this team to be effective. So you like to see that from Marvin. You know, he's only playing about 25 minutes per game, but I think he's really given them some veteran leadership. And, of course, he's going to be a strong locker room guy. But that's that's the important – I mean, it feels like it all comes down to those three-pointers, doesn't it, for Marvin? Like, if yeah. he's hitting them, if he steps into them At and they go, they're always career, big. Sure. 
Yeah. So, and, so certainly good to see. You don't have to worry about Marvin right now. You make a great point. He is his minutes are down because they've been giving more minutes to Frank Kaminsky. But in this one, they had a chance to win against a top team in the East, and they went starter heavy. Kimmel Walker, thirty-seven minutes. Jeremy Lamb, who gets the start in place of Nick Batum, thirty-five minutes. Twenty-nine for Marvin, which is higher than usual, and then thirty-six for Michael Kidd Gilchrist. As of course they wanted to match him up against LeBron James. And speaking of matchups, late in the game. Uh, the Cavs deciding to go LeBron James versus Kemba Walker. And actually, before I talk about that matchup, one of the key, uh, I, I thought, great tactical decisions that, that Steve Clifford made earlier in this game is they initially went Dwight Howard on Kevin Love. And when Kevin Love got it going right at the beginning of the game, timeout Hornets as the the, the Cavaliers went on a run to start the game, they decided to switch all of a sudden and put Dwight Howard on Jay Crowder and, and then put Marvin Williams on Kevin Love. And we just talked about Marvin Williams' offense, but his defense has been stellar as well this year. And and I thought that was a great decision by Clifford. You limit Love, who finishes the game with only six attempts. And he's known to, to really beat down on the Hornets as well. But he's limited to 11 points in this game. Did get 13 rebounds as he's going to have an advantage there over Marvin Williams. They would go more to Jay Crowder. They were trying to expose that matchup issue that that the Hornets would have with Crowder on on uh, Dwight. And Crowder finishes 5 of 11 from the field for 12 points. So you get the ball out of Love's hand. You make them go to Crowder versus uh, versus Dwight. And Dwight did a, a pretty good job on Crowder. And I thought that was a great decision. Again, one of the things that that got them into this game. And not something you are going to see or, to, or that's going to stand out to most people when looking back at the story of this game. And I'm glad you mentioned Marvin, too, because they've always asked him to do that. You know, they kind of ask him to fill in where there's a gap, especially on defense. So and his, um, you know, his ability to guard multiple guys gives them that flexibility. And I think that's, that's so important for this team. And they asked Marvin, they asked so much of Marvin on defense as well. And, and that's not something that always gets the, the, uh, the light shined on it, but uh, just as important to this team and gives them some flexibility. So, yeah, uh, big, big time stretch for Marvin here. So they're going to, I mean, they're going to need that performance from him. It feels like moving forward, too. I didn't really start to believe they would win this game until about 3 30 left when LeBron James threw what I think is the the laziest pass that I've ever seen in my years watching professional basketball, which Kimba Walker easily picked off and found MKG for a dunk. That sent them up five. And I thought, okay, they may have enough to do this. But then LeBron James giveth, and he taketh away. James gets the and one in transition off the Hornets miss. And then MKG... MKG kind of did a bad job of ball stopping there. One of the few misses for him uh, on the defensive end. A few plays later, James gets the mismatch on Howard and ISOs up. Now, Howard has actually done a really fantastic job with those LeBron James ISOs over the two games that they've played this season. But late in a close game, you got to go with LeBron James in that matchup. He drives by Howard, and suddenly that lead was gone. Uh, the the offense late in this game, David, after that point, when the game was tied 99-99, to the Hornets would have several opportunities to pull ahead and, and could not. And I thought, well, David, let me get your thoughts first on the offense late in the game. I mean, that's been the problem so many times this season, Doug. They suffocate Kemba Walker, and the rest of the offense just just sputters, um, and you end up with 
you know, a deep lamb look there at the end. Uh, you know, it's just going to be tough. That's the problem. I don't want to say the problem with Kemba, but that just makes this team, with, especially without Batum, right? There's another guy who can drive, dish, create for other people without him out there. If Kemba can't get it going, then it's kind of, um, as Eric Collins has gone to many times this season, he's thrown a grenade at somebody. So, you know, it's just getting out of his hands. And whoever ends up with it, usually Jeremy Lamb, has to toss up a contested or a tough or a deep three in this situation. And I just think that makes it tough when they're smothering Kimba Walker when they have LeBron James on them, the offense really grinds to a halt. Yeah. I think bottom line, they have to get better looks uh, late in games uh, against good Eastern conference teams. If they want to, if they want to progress beyond the first round, I thought that win against Washington said, Hey, the Hornets might be ready for the first round and I thought that loss against Cleveland said, okay, they're they're not ready for the second round. But like they're not even close. And and a lot and I said this on Twitter and, and some people got mad at me, but like I, I just I think you have to close when you play that many minutes for your starters and you have that many opportunities to close out a team and listen, Cleveland was giving them the opportunity to win this game. 13 of 39 from beyond the yard for Cleveland. They missed so many threes down the stretch. You know, the 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 Cavs had a chance to put this thing away. Channing Fry, one of two from the field. Again, I mentioned Kevin Love, only only six attempts in this one. This was there for the taking for the Hornets. And the offense late in the game looked completely different than the rest of the game. They were selfish, uncreative, moving the ball to the post and having it stay there. It was either going to be a Dwight Howard post attempt which I thought there were too many of those in the fourth quarter, or a Kimba Lamb jump shot that that came completely of their own creation. And, and you had, you, we mentioned Marvin Williams and the great performance that he had, and, and yet he doesn't really touch the ball there at the end of the game, despite having a mismatch on Wade on that Kimba shot that he heaved up over LeBron James. It just, it has to be better if, if they want to, uh, basically sneak up on some of these better Eastern Conference teams and and win playoff games and get to the playoffs. Uh, they have to they have to sneak and win a couple of these games that they're not supposed to win. And on this night, it was just a huge uh, missed opportunity for the Hornets. Again, they go down one hundred to ninety nine. All right, real quick, let's talk about Saturday night's game against the Spurs. Neither team looked ready to play in the first quarter. The Spurs regained their offensive form as the game went on. The Hornets did not. Charlotte loses big 106 to 86. David, this looked like a schedule loss before they ever stepped on the floor. We pointed to this one during our schedule analysis as the prime example of how tough their schedule would be through the first two months of the season. After a hard fought game in Cleveland, are you okay with looking at that Spurs uh, 20 point loss as a schedule loss? That's the only way to stay sane at this point, Doug. That was such a bad loss. 29 points, not a bad loss, just a bad game, uh, to your point. I mean, 29 points in the first half, could not get anything going. And then once they finally did, couldn't get any stops on the other end. So, yeah, I think you have to, considering you almost lost Kimball Walker in this game as well. And that would have been disastrous, obviously. He was able to come back. I mean, how tough is that guy to come back in and, and play the rest of that game? But you got to you got to move on from this one as fast as you can. Hopefully they left the arena and they put this one behind them because it was a disaster. 
Yeah, the Hornets got Nick Batum back for this game. He played injury-free, but Kimball Walker, as you mentioned, goes down in the third quarter with what initially looked like a very serious shoulder injury. The trainer was holding his arm in place as the two walked off the court. Uh, visions of Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Torn Labrams were dancing through my head. Uh, Kimba was on the floor for a while, and Steve Clifford said after the game that Kimba doesn't stay on the floor unless he's really hurt. Uh, but luckily... Uh, he was able to get back in there, the entire arena going quiet because everyone, Spurs fans, Hornets fans alike, knowing that if Kimba missed, ex- misses extended time in this Hornets season, it's all but over. Uh, but luckily, he was diagnosed with a bruised left shoulder, able to return to the game later on in that third quarter. And, and David, you mentioned the toughness. He not only returned, he came back with an offensive vengeance that galvanized the team. Before the injury, he was 3 of 7 for 7 points. After the injury, 5 of 5 for 11 points. And uh, able to give this team just a little glimmer of hope heading into that fourth quarter, but too much too much Spurs who were rested, who were ready to play. And, um, you know, I thought they did a good job early on with their defense. They switched a lot. That was interesting. Um, you don't see the Hornets doing as doing a ton of switching, especially early in the game. They're they're much more in those pick and roll coverages. They're much more about you know sagging that defender back a little bit, protecting the paint. But they were obviously concerned about the Spurs' ability to shoot and ability to get Lamarcus Aldridge good looks from mid range. So they were okay with switching. Uh, Kimball Walker onto LaMarcus Aldridge if it meant, you know, not giving him, you know, that easy pick and pop look uh, that he wanted. But eventually he was able to get it in that second quarter. And then Rudy Gay getting a good matchup against Kaminsky. Uh, that's going to be a tough look. You know, that's going to be a tough matchup for Kaminsky yeah. any night. Rudy Gay is just a really, really good player. Had 19, professional score. Yeah, had 19 points in the previous uh, game for the Spurs to lead all Spurs, and uh, of course, I, I think he had 20 plus against the Hornets in that first matchup. So that was always going to be difficult. And uh, I, I think uh, Clifford summed it up pretty good at the end of the or in the press conference after the game. He said last night obviously took a lot out of us. I played those guys huge minutes. I thought to start the game, we had the right attitude, but we had very little legs. Uh, at least Bryn Forbes didn't set the world on fire again. Uh, you know, I mean, at least you, you got good performances out of the Hornets bench. The Hornets bench actually outscored the Spurs bench in this one, thanks to 12 points apiece from Lamb and Kaminsky. Yeah. Frank, one of the few guys that really had a shot going. Yeah, man, I, there's not much else to say about this game. Malik did get 17 minutes a lot due to some of – well, it was because they were down by so much, and, you know, they had Kimba Walker out for a little bit. Um, but this was uh, one to, to to quickly forget, I think. Uh, schedule loss, you have you chalk it up to that for sure. But, man, it was it was tough going. I mean, Doug, both teams were really crappy <laughs> to start. And, and, you know, the Spurs just finally found their footing, and the Hornets, you know, never really did. All right, so David, now the Hornets stand at 8-11. and 11. They are back at practice today. They don't play again until Wednesday in Toronto, and then Friday they're going to travel to Miami. Then they'll get the weekend off before beginning a four-game home stretch that includes Orlando, Golden State on ESPN, Chicago, and then the Lakers. So I think ideally, when you look at that stretch, if the Hornets can come out of that, one game below 500, that would mean splitting one of two, Toronto or Miami, then uh, Orlando's not playing well at all right now. They are having a similar slide to what Charlotte was experiencing on the road uh, a few weeks ago. 
you 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 think that the Golden State, even though it's at home, the Hornets have been playing better at home. I'm I'm going to go ahead and call that a loss. And then against Chicago and the Lakers, I feel like two opportunities at home to get to get wins. I think you have to come out almost have to come out of this stretch one game below 500. Yeah, and thankfully they do have a couple of days off because they need to get right, need to get healthy before that Toronto game. Friday night in Miami is always a tricky one, Doug. You saw what they happened to the Celtics and their win streak when they went down to Miami. So have to keep their head straight uh, going into that one. But this is a stretch where they can hopefully try and make up some of that ground they lost. You mentioned that Cavs game would have been a huge, you know, win for them on the season. But they've got some would have brought got them back to five hundred. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, you're okay. You're all right. You're still in it, but you, you really need to win some of these games that you're supposed to win, namely, like you said, the Orlando ones. Yeah, so, first couple of months uh, of this schedule is is extremely tough. It does get easier. I know it's hard to kind of look ahead that far and say, oh, man, you know, did, did the Hornets really have uh, a chance to pull some things back together? But honestly, when you yeah. look at the schedule, they really, really do. I think if they can tread water for a few more weeks – uh, you, you're going. You're going to see a turnaround because I think, you know, despite some of these tough losses, you're you're seeing players get better. Uh, you're seeing Dwight Howard rounded to form. You're seeing Jeremy Lamb continue. Uh, dis- despite if he can get those those late game, you know, shot selection issues figured out, you're seeing him improve. You're seeing improvements from. Uh, uh, Kimball Walker as well. I mean, he's getting back his offensive form. And then, as we mentioned, Marvin Williams uh, playing really well on offense right now. Uh, so, uh, and if Michael Carter Williams can can continue to progress, that's only going to be a boost for the Hornets as well. So, I think it 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 will get better at some point. Uh, the Hornets just have to focus on not on wins and losses, but just focus on continuing to improve uh, as a team. All right, that'll do it for us on this edition of Locked on Hornets. We're back again tomorrow with more analysis on uh, these three games and looking further ahead. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hornets. Make sure to uh, visit our merch page over at tpublic.com. Search for Locked on Hornets, or you can click the link in the show notes. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked on Hornets. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. Thanks to our sponsor at Discovering CLT on Instagram. Give them a follow. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.